0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Charlotte'sWeb.com, ladies and gentlemen. If you love CBD just as much as I do, I need it, you need it, we all need it. If everybody had CBD in our life, we wouldn't be so fucking at each other's throats all the time. I said a couple of uh, podcast episodes ago about CBDMedic.com kind of going the way of the wayside. Well, they didn't. They merged. We all went to a bigger and much, much more well-known company called Charlotte's Web, and that's something that needs to happen more in business and life in general is everyone needs to kind of get together and make something bigger, something bigger than yourself. And that's what CBD Medic did with Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is one of the most well-known names in podcasting. I mean, people talk about this all the time. People talk about this all the time in the CBD world. They are entrepreneurs, pioneers in the game. These guys are huge business. And I'll tell you what, they are not so big that they forgot about the little man because they gave us a code to give to you guys, V O M one zero. This will get you any fucking order over $150. You will get the coolest product I've ever heard of with CBD. This is an a, a active sports stick. So anytime you spend $150 or more, use the code VOM10. You get a free active sports stick, which is phenomenal. You can use this thing on any part of your body. If you're an active person, you go out there and you just do anything physical. You take the sports stick, you rub it on your part of your body. There's also a spray version. Spray it on that injured, affected part of your body. and Within minutes, you will feel great. This thing will alleviate any pain. It, will, it is phenomenal. And if that's not your thing, you're spending 150 bucks to get this free sports stick. Why not get a free sports stick? Spend 150 bucks. Take advantage of all their products. They have uh, all sorts of shit. Rubs, lotions, tinctures, tunctures, all sorts of things that you probably can't even pronounce. So many cool different products, different topics. Everything tastes great. Charlotte's Web has a 100% money-back guarantee on products you may or may not like. But you will get to keep the free active sports stick. But you have to use the code VOM10 at checkout. Spend 150 bucks or more. If you don't like the product, simply send it back and keep the free sports stick. But you won't send it back because you're going to be so fucking on cloud nine. You won't even be able to make it to the mailbox to send it back because you're going to feel so good and relaxed for the first time in your life by using charlottesweb.com, using the code VOM10 products, that you will not know what to do with yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, take it from the nerd. I would never ever steer you wrong until i do but this is not one of those cases this episode of the podcast is brought to you by podbean.com yes podbean.com have you ever wanted to get your voice heard by millions upon millions of people around the globe are you too dumb to start up your own website professionally are you too dumb to start up your own podcast are you so dumb that you don't know (laughs) i'm sorry are you me because that's basically me describing myself you know, when we got into this podcasting game about two years ago, um, it was very hard to find a good platform out there, someone that gave us the voice and the opportunity and the tools to make our dreams and vision become a reality. Well, let me tell you something. Podbean.com made it simple, easy, and effective, cost-effective, very cheap to sit there and get your voice out there. And I know the time all that is you get what you pay for, but in this case, you get ten times more than what you pay. I mean, these guys are getting, like, we're robbing them, basically. And I'm going to tell you something man, you better jump in on this deal now because right now everyone's at home, everyone's got a lot to say, a lot of things in their mind. Podcasts are popping up all over the place and there's no better place than podbean.com to start your own podcast. They make everything easy. Even a dumbass like myself was able to make a website, can produce a podcast, can put things out there and just have all sorts of different outlets and they make it simple for you to get on, you know, Apple and all the big shots like Spotify uh, iArt Radio, all these other big name places that you can get your podcast seen and heard. They do it for you and they make you <laughs> just basically walk through baby steps through this process. I mean, they make it so simple and easy and to sweeten the deal. If you go to www.podbean.com slash V O M podcast one zero, that's V O M podcast one zero using our code. They're going to give you five free hours of podcasting space to see if you like it, which you will. And if you don't, no harm to you. There's no risk, tons of reward just to try it out. So give it a shot. www.podby.com slash VOM podcast one zero and get your voice heard. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by my good friends here. I tell you what, man, I fucking love these guys and I'm so glad they're back. I never had so much fun recording a podcast commercial for my friends at manscaped.com. I'm so happy they're back, ladies and gentlemen, because I missed them. I mean, it's been a while since I talked about them, since I was allowed to talk about these guys, and holy shit, my balls have never been happier. I I, I was crying in the shower the other day, and I was using this cheap-ass shaver. I'm not even going to use the name. I bought it at Walmart for fucking 30 bucks, and I'm shaving my nuts, and all of a sudden, I just howled in pain, and I cried for the first time in my adult life. Well, for the first time this month, actually. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And blood was trickling all at the bottom, little droplets, and I said, "I said screw it, and I stopped, and I was half shaved, and I was walking around with a half roll of my balls. Horrible, horrible experience. So I did what I could do, and I picked up the phone, I called Manscaped, and I said, please come back, please sponsor the show, and they were like, all right, fine, here you go, nerd, here's a nice new product for you. Here is the Lawnmower 3.0. This thing is amazing, just the design, the engineering on this thing is beautiful, the I mean, a long th- 3.0 trimmer is designed with a compact shape for easy maneuvering while wet or dry. This thing's waterproof. More waterproof than your stupid iPhone 20 or whatever the hell they're at now. It's just amazing. It's got the skin-safe technology. That's the perfect tool for an incredible grooming experience. It's very sleek. I mean, it, you, you can travel with it, and it's also wireless. So you can charge it, and you pick it up. You can bring it in there with you so you don't have to worry about you know, accidentally electrocuting yourself in the goddamn shower. They also got other products too, like the Weed Whacker, which I need because as an old man who's starting to get gray hairs now, my nose hairs are really long, and the Weed Whacker, you just jam this thing in there like Arnold Schwarzenegger from Total Recall and just move it around in your fucking nose, and instead of pulling out that little ball that he had that was tracking him with whoever else chasing him, it's going to pull out all those nasty nose hairs. It's like going in a backyard and ripping out weeds, but it's painless. You don't feel any pain at all. You don't get those nasty scents of batteries that you get from all those cheap-ass ones, this one's amazing, the skin-safe technology as well. Something I cannot brag enough about with these guys. You do not hurt yourself. You don't have droplets of blood. You don't hurt yourself at all. It's amazing. You can go as hard as you want. You, you just pull it, just pull that sack back, and you just fucking go to town on yourself. Before you know it, you're gonna be smooth, smooth as my head, and my my bald head. I love this thing. You could use it on your fucking head. You could use it on your armpits, your mustache, your every place on your body. You can use this thing, and I'm telling you what. The ladies are going to love you for it because you're going to be as smooth as a baby's butt. It's amazing. The battery life is phenomenal. they got a 600 mAh lithium-ion battery. Hold the charge up to 90 minutes. You can shave your whole body five times in 90 minutes, even more, depending on how tall or short you are. It's such a phenomenal. They send you all sorts of stuff, and there's a lot of different things that you can get as well. There's a crop reviver keeps your balls cool. The crop preserver keeps them nice and shave-free. And the cleanser. It romances your stones. It's basically a hair and body wash. It makes you feel really good. But ball deodorant. ever thought of ball deodorant? Only these guys. I'm serious. They are the best company out there. Very innovative, and we're happy to have them back. There's so many different things. Here's some testimonials for you. 85% of women think bad grooming is a major turnoff. 80% of women think men should trim below the belt. Those other 20 women are dirty fucking skeezers. of men think grooming is essential to their professional success. So thank you, men. We're actually moving up in the rank. There's 11 dirty bastards out there, 11% of dirty bastards, but we'll get to them. And if you get this right now, there's an exclusive offer. You get free boxers and a travel bag, so you can put all these tools in there. And $109.99, you get every single product. And you get a money-back guarantee. And the cool thing about that 199 or $109.99 plan is it's every three months. So you get fresh products. You're always fresh and trim. Your ladies are going to be all over. You're going to have to beat them off with a stick, all right? You're going to look phenomenal. You're going to smell phenomenal. And the best thing is you're just going to get some free gifts like that fucking Manscaped Boxers. I mean, it's going to keep your dick all where it's supposed to be. And that bag is amazing. It's really sleek. It's a leather bag. It's going to keep all your stuff protected. So get on this right now, manscaped.com, and use our code, vom 10 0 v-o-m-1-0 at manscaped.com and please do it and you'll save tons of money, you're going to save $80 off the retail price so normally it'd be $169.99 for the perfect package 3.0, you're going to get it for $89 you're going to go for the, the best package, the $109.99 normally that's $197 so that you're going to save even more money, the more packages that you get to protect your package why wouldn't you do this ladies and gentlemen Go to manscape.com B O M one zero Hey, what's going on again, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery Podcast. Of course, I'm the nerd, and my wife, she is off. She is on site doing something else right now because I have someone even better to fill in today. Someone way, ladies and gentlemen. I don't even know how we got this guy. It is incredible, and I am very honored because this guy's way above. He's gonna teach me some things today, and everyone says I'm very negative. This man is very positive. His name is David Essel. He's the number one best-selling author, counselor, master life coach international speaker and minister who basically spreads positivity wherever he goes and I hope it rubs off on me without further ado David how you doing buddy
1: hey nerd I love it (laughs) we are gonna turn you into the most positive nerd the earth has ever seen
0: we need quite a few more hours to make that happen so
1: Well, it it's good because I have a 365-day program we're going to enroll you in right after the show nerd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good, but do you find it very hard right now to do what you do and spread positivity when the world is just full of so many negative things?
1: Man, what a beautiful question and the answer is I struggle at times too. Yeah, I, you know, I I get overwhelmed by People talking about in the media uh, what's going on, whether we're talking about the pandemic or the election insanity or whatever it might be, uh, there is so much negativity out there. So, what I do is I help individuals learn how to craft their days, weeks, and months where they're not overwhelmed with the negativity. You know, nerd, one of the things that creates so much stress for us right now are those individuals who are addicted to the media, addicted to reading blog posts, chasing rabbit holes, watching the news, everyone thinking they know what the right answer is and no one really has a freaking clue of what's going on. So what we say to people is is that your best chance to turn your attitude around right now is by decreasing your involvement in anything that has to do with social media or regular media in the world of politics and the pandemic. The more we stay focused on this the more we argue you know no one is out there trying to agree to disagree nerd they're all trying to say you're wrong I'm right so we encourage people except for your show <laughs> to, <laughs> to watch you know really pay attention to how much time online am I arguing online which is probably one of the most insane things that people do on a daily basis and, you know, I was in the gym the other day and a guy came up to me and he tried to have this conversation, but I knew where it was going. He was trying to convince me that he was right about everything that's going on in the election. And after about 20 seconds of him starting out this, you know, he started out with, hey, great to see you, by the way. Do you know what's going on with the?" Ele-? And the minute he said the word election, I just gave him the timeout sign with my two hands. And I said, hey, listen, six months, a year from now, you want to talk about it? Great. Right now, I have no interest. And I really think that that's what we need to do. You know, we need to, number one, cut out the amount of time we're spending on media talking about all this insanity if you want to have a chance at a positive mindset. And then we've got to make sure that we're filling in that space with life-enhancing news, life-enhancing articles, life-enhancing shows, so we don't get sucked into the vortex of negativity, which many people are right now.
0: Now, that's really interesting because I, I find it very hard to disconnect sometimes. And I think that that's where a lot of my anger comes from, because we talk a lot about politics and, and the coronavirus and just things in general on this show from time to time. And I feel like that's where a lot of my anger comes from. But that's, that's a pretty good uh, tip there. But we have cell phones in our pockets. We have constant 24-7 media. How do you disconnect when it's in your face 24-7? What do you recommend doing?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, First of all, you know, in in my work, one of the things we work with is addiction. And, you know, how many people right now, nerd, that you know are addicted to their iPhones, their cell phones? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so wh- and and this is going to sound maybe a little radical, but with my phone and the clients that are really struggling with, you know, trying to get away from all the negativity, is that I say shut off all bells, whistles, sounds, whatever the hell's coming out of your sh- your phone, shut it all down. Because when you hear a ding, when you hear you know that text come in, the email come in, it automatically releases a chemical in the brain called dopamine. Dopamine is one of the most powerful addictive substances in the brain. Now, it has a really good role of helping you feel good. But once you get into that mindset of, oh, my God, a text just came in. What is it? Or, oh, I just saw in case you missed it popped up on my phone. I better look to see what Trump is up to or look to see what Biden is up to. That's a dopamine release. Now, all of a sudden, we're addicted. If you can have a phone and and so people go, how do you know if you're not addicted to, to your phone? I say, oh, it's easy. If your phone is on, your bells and whistles are on, and it rings or it dings or it does what it does, and you let it sit for 30 minutes to an hour before you flip it over, you are not addicted in my belief system. But how many people could let it sit for an hour, nerd? Oh, not many at all. No, and so that's where we come into this world of addiction. So what we say to people is, is that when you shut everything down, that means you have to actually look. Like, we don't even have vibrate on our phone. We have nothing. <laughs> so if you want to see, if, if I want to see, like today on a Sunday, you know, I think there was, I don't know, seven or eight hours that I didn't even look at the phone. And that, to me, brings peace of mind. And when I finally looked at it, nerd, there was nothing urgent. There was nothing, you know, one of the things that people say to me all the time, they go, well, you know, I have to stay informed. Oh, I love that line. That's such an addict line. That's, right. that's, that's the line of the addiction. You know, I have to stay informed. And so from June 1st to today, nerd, I shut off almost all media. I go on social media about 15 minutes a day only from June 1st to today. Now, I can tell you I didn't miss a thing. I found out what happened with the presidential election, not because I was glued to my phone or the TV, because I was walking in the gym and someone said Biden won. That's how I found out. So from June 1st to today, my mindset has been, I would say, probably 50% less stressed than it was from February 1st to June 1st, when I was like everyone else in the world going, oh my God, there's this brand new thing called the pandemic. What is it? But then, you know, around June 1st, I said, okay, we know enough about it. I don't need to be updated every 30 seconds. And when I am updated, it usually pisses me off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right? So when we move away and then we take as a substitute, you know, something that's healthy, that's uplifting – that 's where we get to break the addiction, but it 's not easy you know it 's not easy breaking an addiction to social media. Um, the other thing that is pretty interesting because i haven 't you know been arguing, and I think the last time i I posted something controversial was probably in March when I was pissed off about something <laughs> and i, I don 't usually get pissed off in the work I do, but i I was frustrated with something. But that was the last time I posted anything like that. And I never reply to anyone's post I see that's argumentative in nature. So if you were to go to David Essel on Facebook right now, you're probably going to find a bunch of puppy pictures, some (laughs) nature pictures. (laughs) You'll find, oh, my my dog Saint died six months ago. So you'll see pictures of me remembering Saint. But you know what, nerd, you won't see anything controversial, argumentative at all in my feed, which is why I believe so strongly in encouraging people to follow what you and I are talking about tonight.
0: Well, that's extremely healthy, too. And I wanted to, to, to kind of circle back here because you were talking about the dopamine effect. And is that something that you can train your 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 brain, your psyche? Because dopamine gets released when something happens that you enjoy,
1: Right. Well, it gets. Yeah. Yeah. But it also is a adrenaline. So it gets released when there's something that pisses you off regularly, too. OK. And that's and see, like, OK, let's talk about righteousness, you know, and this is what people have no idea how to agree to disagree. I, oh, mean, I Absolutely. Right. I mean, I think it, it went out in, in the 50s, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but it surely isn't here now. So. When you read something that is against your belief system and you knee jerk reaction instantaneously go, oh, what an idiot, that's a combination of dopamine and adrenaline. Okay. When you are so sure you're right and this other person or these 150 other million people are wrong then that creates that addictive response and the minute something comes on that that backs your beliefs nerd you do get a dopamine hit there too from a positive perspective we say positive only because it's something you believe in but when you also start to get things on your phone that are against your uh your your political uh um wishes And it doesn't matter if it's for or against, we're starting to see adrenaline and dopamine be released constantly, which is why people can't just let their phone sit for a couple hours. If you could let it sit, that would be proof that you're in control of your life. If you are jerked every time you hear something or feel a vibration, you have to immediately look. That's the addict in us.
0: So before cell phones, what was it exactly? What, Where did we get that dopamine rush? Was it from television? Was it from video games? Like, what was it before the cell phone? Because that seems like it's the ultimate dopamine rush. It's a million things, yeah. if not a, a, a billion things in the palm of your hand that you can access at any given time. So your your brain is constantly focused
1: on this machine. What, oh, what- Absolutely. You, you know what I, th- I think this is going to sound kind of funny, nerd. But one of the things that that used to give us a dopamine rush was a phone answering machine. Do you remember those? Oh, of course. <laughs> right. Oh, so yeah. you, you'd come home and it's blinking 10 times. There's <laughs> your dopamine. Okay. And, you know, you you listen to the first one and the second, and the third one. But, you know, that that's one of the ways we got it before. The other way we got it was via television. The other way, via radio. Um, So there's, you know, the the whole, you know, argument of uh, the addictive nature of human beings with dopamine and adrenaline has been going on forever. But unfortunately, and of course, there's great technology, you know, there's great use of the cell phone. So I'm not some kind of a hermit that's saying, get rid of your cell phone. But I am saying that the positive of it has been overwhelmingly defeated, in my opinion, by the negativity in the world Ever since February first, when you know the the pandemic hit the u s um, before that, if you're a real political person, you could have been pissed off for the last three years or really excited if Trump was your guy for the last three years so you know the the addiction process has really been set for a lot of people for a number of years now, nerd.
0: Now, how do you change your mindset, though? Is there a way that you can train your brain to not get the dopamine effect from your cell phone? So maybe you could break that addiction. Um The only kind of uh, scenario I can put that would kind of be the same is I used to smoke cigarettes. And when I used to inhale, it made me feel good. It made me feel like I was getting what I needed, what I wanted. Is there a way you can like and, and, and I quit cold turkey. Is there a way that you can almost quit cold turkey cell phones and, and that dopamine effect and then transfer it to something else, something more useful, like maybe fishing or collecting cards or r- running even or, or doing yeah. something different?
1: Yeah, or volunteering. Um, you know, I mean, using the time that you have, you know, I, I have a, a younger brother uh, in Syracuse, New York, who volunteers at an animal shelter. And what they do is they bring dogs up from the south that have been abused. And they bring him to Syracuse, and they've got some huge facility there. So several months ago when they reopened the dog shelter, you know, he goes every Sunday for I think it's five hours. And in those five hours, he can't even have his cell phone with him. So there's a way we break it. But to answer your question directly, any addiction, step number one is remove the substance. That's it. That's step one. If you don't do step one, there is no sense in talking about step two, three, four, and five. <laughs> exactly. You know, so with you breaking, you know, you know, I was an alcoholic and a cocaine addict nerd for 30 years.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. And, and believe it or not, you know, I tell people this all the time. I was getting people sober. I was helping people create million dollar businesses, find great relationships, all the work that I've been doing my whole life. But for the first portion of my life, you know, I started very young at 12 with alcohol. And then from there, it just, you know, exploded into drugs, every drug in the world you can imagine. And when I finally let go of, you know, the, the cocaine was a really interesting one. I woke up 1996, a Tuesday afternoon at 2.30. In the afternoon, as normal, my my pillow and anyone who's been a cocaine addict, you're going to know what I say next. Even if it sounds gross, it's just reality. My -hmm. pillows were covered with blood, uh, which is Mm -hmm. very normal when you're a heavy cocaine snorter. And I woke up 2.30 in the afternoon and I looked in the mirror and I said, you have no joy. You know, you're Mr. Positivity, you're Mr. This, you're Mr. That, and you have no joy. And it was in that day, nerd, that I walked away from cocaine. Um, You know, it was a miracle, if you want the truth. You know, because I had no withdrawal, with with cocaine, the withdrawal is psychological. There's not a, a physiological withdrawal. So, but whatever it was, you know, me being honest with myself for the first time, it took away the craving, and I have never gone back. I've never touched it. God, I, I've been at parties since then uh, where people are offering me. And it, there's just no no interest. It took me a couple more years to finally give up alcohol. Um, but, you know, with any addiction, if you don't completely remove the addictive substance first, and when we're talking about cell phones, we're saying, hey, and I'll tell you what I do with, with executives that I work with. I ask them to write down the blocks of time that they're going to look at their cell phone. And on average, it'll, it'll sound something like this. Now, for a cell phone addict, you're going to start getting shivers. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, who's addicted to the cell phone, when I tell you what these executives are doing, you're going to go, oh, my God, I could never do that. But what we say is um, first, the first hour in the morning, there's no news, no cell phone, no social media, nothing. Because the first hour is the most important hour of how your day is going to unfold. So what we say is this is a time to read, you know, if if you're into religion or spirituality, you can read scripture or some positive spiritual book. You could pick up someone like uh, Anthony Robbins. You could pick up one of my books. But the first hour of every day should be meditation or prayer or journaling or reading life-enhancing information. So right away, you know, I could just feel the number of people who are going to hear this nerd and they're going to be going, oh, no, 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 no. I have to check my text right away. But the the truth is, if you were to do this for a month, you would see that that first hour. So if you don't look at your phone until seven instead of six a.m. or eight instead of seven, you're going to see over the course of a month that you really haven't missed anything. So. We say the first hour has got to be just for personal growth, mind activity, mental health, greatness. And then you get a chance for 30 minutes to check your cell phone, your text, your emails, etc., And then you shut it down until noon. Hmm. And then you look at it again. So let's say you work 9 to 12. So there's three hours where you're not going to be engaged with your cell phone. Now, if you're at work and you have to be on your computer, fine. But there's no cell phone. And then at twelve, you get to catch up. Did, did you ever um, hear of the book The Four Hour Work Week?
0: No, never heard of that one.
1: Oh my god! Okay, so there's this guy Tim Ferriss. He wrote a book, The Four Hour Work Week, not the four day work week, <laughs> the four hour work week.
0: That's what I thought you meant at first, the four day work week, because I know that's supposed to you know really help people be more productive at work and have more work life balance.
1: Absolutely. And if people can pull that off, I, you know, I encourage it greatly. But he believed now. Now, this was a guy that made a ton of money um, selling nutritional supplements. And while he was doing it, he burned out. And he realized that he was putting all of this effort and time to make all of this money and wasn't really necessary. So when he finally figured out how he wanted to live his life, he started training people. And it's very similar to what I just said, is that he said this, he goes, I don't look at email from the day before. So let's say he goes to bed at 10 at night. He doesn't even look at email until noon. Now that will put shivers in people's bodies. Um, And he doesn't return any calls until 12. And then he's offline until 4.30. So at noon and 4.30 is where he finds out who he's got to respond to, who he has to call back. And, you know, if you think about it, that's pretty respectful. So if someone emails you at 9 in the morning and you get back to him at noon, that's not bad. Now, of course, the, the addict in us says, wait a minute, I texted him 10 minutes ago. How come he hasn't responded? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. This is like intermittent fasting.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Exactly (laughs)
0: what this is. (laughs) Basically, fasting with electronics. I mean, okay, so from the hours of 12 to 4, that's when I feed and that's when I get everything out there in in the universe and put my text messages and my emails and stuff. That's a really good idea because intermittent fasting is one of the best things you could do if you want to lose weight and kind of just regulate your your appetite and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, I can see this being a thing. Will people go for it? I mean, David, I think you got a really hard job ahead of you. If you want to get people <laughs> on that boat, it's tough. But let me ask you a question because <clears throat> you mentioned you you had you, you tried alcohol at twelve years old, and you know, like you had a really rough addiction to, to, to cocaine. And I feel like it's important what you mentioned to kind of touch you on a little bit more here. Is I feel just personally in my life that people are better off if they hit rock bottom. I I feel like everyone has to have that moment where they just hit rock bottom. They realize, you know, Hey, what I'm doing is wrong. And then they can come out even better for it. I've hit rock bottom. You, you, you had your, your, your moment. I people listening have had their moments. And I just feel like it's how we react to hitting that rock bottom moment in our lives is what makes us the people we're going to be and just better people. And it helps us help others too, through their experiences. And you've written a lot of books. You've been doing this for over four decades now, you know, and, you've, you've touched a lot of lives and it's because you had that rock bottom moment. That's why I just kind of wanted to stop and just, just reflect on that. Like what, what got you into the downward spiral that you had, you know, for, for, for years, like you started drinking at 12, you said, and I I just kind of, I just kind of wanted to get back to that. Like, how did this start?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, you know, the, the, the essence of all addiction, nicotine, food, alcohol, drugs, television, media, righteousness, whatever the addiction is, spending, emotional spending, sex, it doesn't matter. Um, the bottom line is we're trying to avoid the current reality. So nicotine hits the brain as quickly as smoke crack cocaine. Okay, so the fastest way to get high is through something you smoke. That's that's the fastest. It'll hit the brain quicker than an injection. So if you're going to snort heroin or inject it, if you snort it, you're going to have a quicker hit than if you inject it. If you smoke heroin or you smoke crack, that's where the addiction really goes. And that's why it's so hard for people with nicotine to quit. Because it's an instant reward system. But remember this, the purpose of all addiction is to numb our current reality, is to get away from thoughts we don't want to feel, feelings we don't want to feel. So I started at 12. I was raised in a family. I love my mom and dad, love my brother and sister. uh, But there's no manuals on raising three kids differently. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so they did. And my dad, you know, my dad, they're both dying right now. But um, I and as a matter of fact, just before this call, I got a chance to get on the phone with them both. And I spoke to him for a couple of times. But my dad nerd still says this at 92. He's he's more cognizant and more lucid than my mom. My mom is struggling deeply with dementia, which is a bitch of a disease for yeah. all of, you know, listeners that you may have have family members or go through this. It's it is just horrendous. But My dad says to me at 92, he goes, you know, he goes, your mom and I did our best. We had no clue of what the hell we were doing back then. And he goes, David, he goes, honestly, he goes, we don't have a clue of what it means to be parents today. If you're going to really ask me deeply, we just do the best we can, but we didn't know what we were doing. And in my case, you know, I happen to be the middle child, extremely sensitive. And so in our family, we could express joy and happiness but my mom and dad didn't know how to handle my anger, my frustration, my insecurities um they they just didn't know this kid that they had this middle child they had was just so filled with emotion, so they would allow me to be joyful, but they didn't know how to how to help me with my other emotions. so I found alcohol at twelve, and what that allowed me to do was to numb out the anger, resentment, frustration, whether it was with my parents or my siblings or friends, I didn't know how to control my emotions. And it's an interesting thing because it's the reason I went into psychology. And when I went into psychology, I was still an addict, still an alcoholic, but I was learning more and more until finally I got, you know, to this day, well, with the cocaine, it was just a miracle. But then with the alcohol, it was like, okay, wait a second. You know, I've numbed myself for all these years. I've got to find a different way. And you know, when you said the word rock bottom, it's true. But let me explain what rock bottom means. And sure. this might surprise some people. Rock bottom is simply a choice to change. Some people at 15 have a hangover nerd and they make a choice to never drink again because it sucks so bad. Some people choke on a cigarette at 19 and they that's their rock bottom. Like, I don't want that. That's disgusting. It tasted like crap. It, it it hurt my throat. I don't want it. So, you know, we have to understand, Rock, bottom. there is no definition other than it's a choice you make to change. There are some people, you know, I had a client, and, and uh, you know, this is going to maybe sound a little humorous, but I don't mean it to be funny. She, she had, I don't know how many DUIs. They finally took her license away, and they forced her to work with counselors. And I happen to be, I think, counselor number 30. because she never wanted to quit drinking, even after losing her license. And the last time I saw her, um, I didn't know why she wasn't returning. She wasn't returning to our sessions or anything. And I found out that she got arrested for riding a bicycle in public while intoxicated. Now, here's a woman that had four DUIs, lost her driver's license, had to depend for years on people to, to move her around, but she still never hit rock bottom. And then there are other people, like I said, that have a hangover at 16, and that's their rock bottom. So what we have to do as human beings, and and I'm fully responsible for waiting 30 years. No one asked me to wait 30 years to wake up. But as human beings, we need to do what happened to me in 1996, is we need to look in the mirror, and I would advise this exercise tonight for all of the listeners, look in the mirror and get real. Uh, do you have dependencies? We're talking about cell phone addiction. If you do, write it down. Do you have dependencies on food? Are you an emotional eater? Write it down. Emotional spender? Write it down. Is righteousness your addiction? That you have to be right. You have to have the last word. You can't listen to someone else's opinion. You can't agree to disagree. Then that's called an addiction. So we look at this. You know, we, So many couples I'm working with right now during the pandemic, nerd. That are you know in emotional affairs. Some of them are in physical affairs. They become addicted to pornography. Their alcoholism has, has risen because they're not willing to look in the mirror and to be honest with themselves and/or their partner. So step one is to just look and say, hey, you know, do I have a side gig going on with someone when I'm married or I'm in a relationship? You know, that's a that's serious stuff. Of course when you're doing it, you justify, rationalize, and defend, well, you know, my partner's not filling this emotional need. My partner's not filling that physical need. But instead of turning that into a reason to cheat or a reason to drink more or to stay at work longer, we need to look in the mirror and say, this is up to me to fix. Because if I don't fix it with the person I'm with, the odds are really good I'm going to repeat it with the next person. And if we don't stop the food addiction right now, if we don't stop, you know, you stopping the nicotine addiction, phenomenal job on your part. And you know what's really cool is that because you've shared it, and I'm sure you've shared it many times before tonight, but every time you share that, nerd, you put a little bit of a thought, a spark into someone's brain that says, you know, gosh darn it, if nerd can do it, I've got to look at this. And we need those stories of success because most of us, when we're in that mode of addiction, we don't see a possible way out. Sure, that makes
0: tons of sense. But I do want to ask you a question here because you, you brought up the pornography addiction and, and just people going through all these things due to the pandemic right now. And this kind of just struck me. This is a question I've had in the past and you were the perfect person to ask. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to pornography, uh, let's say a husband and wife are together and you know, the husband is, they've been married for 20, 30 years and the husband's looking at pornography a lot. Doesn't act on his emotions. You know, and the guy, you know, he just watches pornography. He's not cheating on his wife. He's, he's, he's doing other things. He's just looking, not touching. Obviously this is going to sound really weird coming out of my mouth because it's its just a weird question. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to throw it at you here, David, am I'm, I'm just going to throw it at you here. So, If you have a person who's got sick thoughts in their mind because you're all about, you know, just using positivity and and, and things like that. Let's just say there's a pedophile in the neighborhood or someone who likes animals or into some weird stuff and they're looking at it online but not acting on it. Isn't it better for them to look at this to get their fix as opposed to
1: physically acting out their impulses? Well, let's look at this, nerd. It's a great question. Um, If you're doing that and you're in a relationship, you are cheating.
0: So even if you're not physically going, like touching a woman or going out to bars and bringing women to hotel rooms, it's still cheating if you're just looking on the internet at other people doing it.
1: A 100%. It's an affair. And the reason we say that is is that because unless your partner is sitting next to you while you're on pornography... Uh, if, If he or she is sitting next to you and you're both enjoying it together and then you make love because it turns you on, totally different story. But most pornography addicts are doing it behind their partner's back. You know, I have three couples I'm working with right now where the husbands went heavily into pornography and I'm working with these couples now to be able to try to help them save their marriages, save their relationship. The reason that we go to pornography is, let's say our partner, you know, isn't fulfilling our needs physically or isn't fulfilling our needs emotionally. That's what therapists like myself are for. You know, we can offer solutions. We can offer communication. We can do a lot of things. As a matter of fact, nerd, you know, my brand new book that came out, the last book that came out just about two months ago, it's called 50 Plus Flavors of Erotic Love, Leaving the Vanilla World for Ecstasy. And I wrote the book as an opportunity for couples to learn how to talk about their erotic desires with each other without going to porn and without going to physical or emotional affairs at work or in the neighborhood. So it is filled with clients that were on the verge of divorce, on the verge of affairs, on the verge, you know, like there's clients that were workaholics that were staying at work much longer than they needed to because they wanted to avoid their partner. And so in the book, we say, hey, here's 50 plus options to keep your love life sparked alive. And we don't go into swinging. We don't go into sharing with, you know, your partner with other people. If people want to do that, that's a totally different ballgame. As a counselor, I can't endorse that only because that rarely works. It sounds exciting, you know, to swing and to be with different partners. But in regards to sustaining a marriage or a, a serious relationship, there might be two to four percent of the world's population that could be in the swinging or open relationship lifestyle and still have a good marriage or a good relationship. It rarely works. So what we say to people is let's learn how to communicate. And something that we find when it comes to talking about sex and sexuality is that there are so many people, nerd, that are filled with so much shame and guilt. From their upbringing as a child, from the religion they went to the churches they went through, through you know it, it's just ridiculous how much shame and guilt is out there, so instead of saying to their partner, "Hey, you know can we look at this list in david's book and and we even give this as an exercise, you know circle the things that you're interested in, share it with your partner and see if there are some mutual things that you can agree upon." And I mean, and some of it's really simple, you know, like some of it is like blindfolds and hot wax on the skin and feathers to turn people on. Um, You know, there's there's all kinds of and then some get a little bit more intense. But, you know, there's there's so many different options for relationships. But, you know, who taught us about sex? Who taught you, nerd? Who taught you about sex?
0: I mean, for me, it was just a a lot of trial and error, basically. No one actually taught me anything, and I and, and I kind of feel like I know where you're getting at here because a lot of people don't know what turns them on. They just go through the motions for the most part and just unwilling to open up their minds and just their bodies to new experiences. So I, I think it's great that you got the, the, this book out that people can, can maybe steal some ideas and bring it into their own lifestyle because sometimes all it takes is someone just opening their mind and saying, hey, I like this. And then there you go. You, have you, you've opened up a whole new, uh, plethora of experiences in the bedroom, but yeah, the know, answer, I, question. Nobody, nobody taught me.
1: No, no, you know, no one teaches us and that's the problem. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, it's my, my, my publicist, TJ Torriello calls it, fi, fi, uh, calls the new book, 50 plus flavors of erotic love. He said, it's 50 shades of gray meets therapy. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really true, you know, but I'll tell you one personal story that about myself and my introduction into communicating about sex that I wrote about in the book. Up until 1996, I was one of those people that was just shooting from the hip. I didn't really know how to talk about sexuality, even as a counselor. We don't, they don't teach you how to talk about your own sexuality in grad school. It's all still trial and error, unfortunately. So what I did was I, I, I wrote this thing. It was in 1996. I was dating a woman for a couple years. We had this incredible relationship, and I had never spoken a thing to her about her body. I had never told her how much I loved her breast, her nipples. I never told her how much I loved the way she tasted. I never told her a darn thing. Mm-hmm. And we're at a restaurant. We get done. She's outside waiting for me to come and pick her up in the car. Went around the side, got the car. She's in the moonlight, and I'm looking at her, and it's blowing my mind. Now, we had been together for several years. I brought her home. I went into the room, got my computer out, and sent this email to her. And I was taking a huge risk. But I said, you know, I used to cheat in relationships. I don't want to cheat anymore. And I'm just going to see what happens. And so I wrote her this email, nerd. And it basically was this. Last night, when you were standing in the moonlight, sideways, Something that I've never shared with you before is your breasts drive me crazy. Your body drives me insane. I am so attracted to you. I couldn't wait to get home and to make love. I've never talked to you about this. I'm hoping you're going to accept it gracefully because, of course, my big concern was that she'd say, I'm objectifying her. I'm a pig, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And the next day, I get a response email saying, oh, my God. We've been together for how long and you've never ever once told me that you love my body. This is so important for me to hear David. As a matter of fact, there's something I want to share with you that I've never told you. I've always wanted to be dressed in a latex outfit for you. Are you open? It's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. Nerd. It was incredible. The next day, we raced to the store, got a latex suit, and forget it. From then on, we were open with our communication, talking about different ways with oral sex and making love and different positions and different locations and on the beach and on the golf course, and oh, my God. We ended up having the most incredibly deep, intimate relationship for a number of years, and it ended not out of anyone's fault. It was just a progression of a relationship that, met its expiration date, I guess you could say. But I share that story because, you know, even as a counselor, I mean, we're so afraid of being judged, rejected by our partner when it comes to sexuality. And yet in the book, you know, there's there's another story we tell about a woman that came to me. I teach a course on erotic love. And um, so most of it is via Skype or phone. And so she contacted me and said that, you know, she had been married for a number of years to a CPA, an accountant. And he was really closed down sexually and she didn't want to have an affair, but she was going to try to figure out if she took this course with me on erotic love, would she be able to bring any of that to her husband and maybe break the ice? So it's the cutest story in the world. I worked with her for eight weeks. I explained, you know, I had her relearn her body. You know, most women don't know where their G-spot is. There's a lot of women that still have never orgasmed with their partner. They fake it to this day, which she was doing. And so we we get her into this totally new mindset. She learned more about her body. And so one day she gets home and there's a a letter on the bed. And it says, uh, honey, I'll I'll be home as usual tonight. In the uh, closet is new lingerie I want you to put on. There's also six-inch heels I want you to put on. I want you to take a shower and put your hair up the way I love it. I want you to look underneath the bed. There's a box there. Pull out two or three of the items in the box that you would like me to use on you. Put the blindfolds on. Lie down. And you'll know when I come in the room. So she couldn't believe it, right? Like, here's a CPA. Here's a guy that never shared any emotions with her at all, nerd. And he wrote this beautiful letter. So she's anxious and nervous. She pits, you know, does everything she said, he says in a letter. And he hear, she hears him come into the room. And of course, she's trembling. She doesn't know what's going to happen next. And he leans down. With, and she's got the blindfold on. And he leans down and he said, I've been reading the notes from your sessions with David. I read the book that he recommended that you read. And now I am here to satisfy all of your desires that I never have in the past.
0: Whew. That sounds some smooth shit right there.
1: <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That is just, aw- I mean, like she had no idea that he was going through her notes. He mm-hmm. had, she had no idea, you know, that he was really paying attention. Now she, he knew she was working with a counselor for the relationship, but he had no idea that this was the direction she was going. <laughs> And there's so many stories like that in the book, you know, of people that when they learn how to communicate and we start people slow, you know, we don't say, you know, go into a dungeon. As a matter of fact, we don't even talk about whips and chains and dungeons and all that. Mm -hmm. The the world of erotic love nerd has changed so dramatically, but too many people don't even know it exists, number one. And number two, when they do, they think it's some crazy stuff. And, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey brought out the most conservative women in the world bought that book. Oh, yeah. Oh, the most conservative women in the world watched the movies. Now, I'll tell you this. Fifty Shades of Grey is filled with a lot of drama and chaos that isn't necessary in what's called a dominant-submissive relationship or an assertive-passive relationship. In all couples, 99% of the time, nerd, there's someone who's more assertive and there's someone who's more passive. And so in the book, we we teach you, you know, if you're more of the assertive type, then here's some thoughts that you want to follow through. If you're the more passive type, here's some other thoughts you want to follow through. But we talk about something in the book that people are blown away by. And this is what I say. I don't really care what personality type you are. I don't care how much experience you have sexually. I don't care if you're more dominant, more assertive, more passive. Doesn't matter to me. More submissive. The goal is to find a way to worship each other. And it was like when I came out of my shell and sent that email in 1996, I was worshiping her. I was telling her things I'd never told her. I was telling her. And then we got into, you know, how much I love to French kiss her. And oh my God. I mean, then it was endless, right? Once the door is open, you can't close it. Of course. (laughs) Which is a good thing.
0: (laughs) No, it's great. And, You know, there's – and this is why I think so many affairs happen and why marriages don't last is because people are too afraid to let their guard down. They're too afraid and like, hey, I may love the person I'm sleeping with every night, but I don't want to let my guard down around because of fear of rejection, fear of being judged, just like you were saying. So I'm thinking that's why a lot of women and a lot of men just go have affairs because it's easier to do the things you want to do to that person, to someone else, a random stranger, because who cares? You're not going to judge it because it's just a one-time thing. And I'm thinking that's why there's so many men out there. They might have a very demure woman at home and just afraid to try new things. And, hey, I can just go to the bar tonight, pick up somebody or or, or pay for it somewhere else right. and get what you want. Get that dopamine rush, if if you will. Yeah. And the other release as well. And do the things that you've always wanted to do to the person that you love. So my question to you is, what advice would you give to someone that doesn't have the access to, to you, uh, to a counselor, to anyone with knowledge of how to make things work? Like, how can they make things happen as soon as the second they turn off this podcast?
1: Yeah. You know, well, at it, it first it, it, you, we, we can't rush the process. If we've never spoken, you know, about anything different than missionary sex, I'm just going to make it very basic. Yeah. Um, like, let's say your partner is totally not into oral sex at all. And let's say that that's something you really love. Well, you can't go home and go, Hey, I, I listened to nerd and this guy, David Essel. And, you know, For me not to cheat, you're going to have to start oral sex on me tonight. (laughs) we, (laughs) we, 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 We can't be that demanding, but we can say, and that's why we wrote the book, Nerd. And, of course, our book isn't the only book to teach people about how to communicate about sexuality, but our book is one of the few books out there to teach you how to communicate about erotic love. Erotic love is very different. You know, it, we care about our partner. We want them, whether you're passive or assertive, we want our partner totally fulfilled on an emotional, psychological, as well as physical basis. And that's going to take time. You know, and so the very first thing I'd say is if you don't know where to go with your sexuality, grab at least my book, 50 Plus Flavors of Erotic Love. At least read it. It's on Amazon.com, Kindle or softcover. Give yourself a chance. And if you connect with the book, ask your partner if they would like to see what you're reading. Tell them that you're reading a book to expand your mind, to expand your communication skills. And see if they're going to be open. Now, if they say no, that's not a deal killer. A lot of us are really afraid because of what I mentioned before, our parental upbringing, religious upbringings that create so much shame around and guilt around sex. You know, there's a a, a woman in the book I talk about who actually became a sex addict. And she came to me because she was really into phone sex and she had multiple guys and they would get each other off on the phone and then she got heavily into pornography. Well, the only reason she came to me is she's a very high executive in a hospital system. All I'll say is in the United States. And that her boss, the the president, she was a VP. The president came to her and said, hey, you've been showing up late. You know, you're supposed to be here at this time. You're 15, 20 minutes late. I've noticed in the last couple of months, it's a regular occurrence. And the reason why was because she was orgasming at home. She was fully addicted. So we worked through, as I worked through her addiction, of course, we want to find the origin. And here was the origin. It's called shame and guilt. When she was around 12 and started growing breast, her father made fun of her. Hmm. And God. this is not unusual. I'm sorry to say this, but this is not unusual because hmm. her father was uncomfortable with his own sexuality and him and his wife were extremely religious people that only had sex to have a child. He didn't know how to handle a young girl with developing breasts. So when he started teasing her about it, she shut down. Throughout all of high school, there was no relationships, no dating. And when she went to college, she went off chain. She would sleep with anyone at any time. So Mm. finally, here she is 20 years later on the risk of potentially losing her job or being demoted. And we cleaned up her sex addiction and she found out, Why she had it, well, it was because of shame and guilt from her upbringing with her father. So as I'm taking her now into she's looking at her for a relationship, I said the most important thing you need to do right from the start is to be open and honest with your sexual nature, with whoever you're dating. So the first couple guys she dates are very strong religious men. They don't want to do anything other than missionary sex. And she was ending these relationships in two to three weeks. And finally, she found a guy that she said, hey, listen, you know, I come from a very strong religious background. It's created a lot of shame and guilt around sex. I spent a lot of time working with a counselor. I feel like I'm very free. Are you open to talking about different forms of sexual pleasure? And it was about the third guy that she dated that she brought that question up to. Now, with no shame or guilt, she's just saying, hey, this is who I am. And she found a guy that was a perfect match. And that was 15, 20 years ago. And they're still together today. But what she found, and and we share this in the book, is that she had to find the origin of her shame and guilt. And that's what we all have to find. You know, and for most of us, it's pretty easy. Unless you had very open-minded parents that sat you down and talked to you about masturbation, sexually transmitted diseases, pregnancy, oral sex. I mean, I don't know of anyone in the world that I can say I know that's talked to their kids about these things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty uncomfortable subject.
1: Yeah, and we probably all have some hang-ups about sex. We probably all do. And so the very first thing is to figure out what's creating that block. Why am I so afraid of being rejected, criticized, abandoned if I want to do something a little outside of the quote-unquote missionary norm position? When we work on these type of things, nerd, we can clean up our own insecurities and then that gives us a better chance to be able to be open and free speaking about what our needs are, but not just our needs, what our partner's needs are too.
0: Okay. Now, do you think it's possible for a relationship to succeed if one person is just completely mute and like has no interest and is only acquiescing to their partner's needs? Can it work that way?
1: That's a tough one. That's a great question. And it's a toughie. Um, This is if, if I work with a client and they say that their partner has no interest whatsoever in doing anything different. What I try to do is get their partner in to talk about their limitations, their blocks, their hang ups. If that doesn't happen, then I'll work with the partner who I'm working with right now who is more open and we will try from all different angles, nerd, you know, leaving little notes, text messages, emails, phone messages, just about love, just about we can start with things like, you know, when you kissed me last night when I came home, it really felt good. I mean, things that we don't do, you know, and and nerd, maybe you can answer this question how many people that you know as friends intimately compliment their partner on a weekly basis
0: very little if, if any at all like i i
1: honestly can't think of one at the top of my head right now that actually does that yeah so imagine the change that would happen you know because sometimes people go well you know we've been together for 20 years it it it's not necessary i will jerk off to porn but it's not necessary for my wife and i to do anything different which I say automatically you're in an affair. So what we want to do is we want to start with something really small, like compliments. Honey, I love those earrings. They Now, now I'm not saying bullshit compliments, nerd. You know, I'm saying real yeah. ones, right? Like, I love those earrings because they match your eyes. You are, you are just freaking gorgeous when you wear them. If you really feel it, say it. You know, look for things, write things down about your partner. You know, there was a guy and here's something just hilarious. There was this very alpha, very dominant, highly sexual male who came to me and he was so embarrassed. He goes, he goes, listen, I'm an alpha. I'm a dominant. Why I'm coming to a counselor. I'm embarrassed. I should be able to figure this crap out on my own, but I can't. (laughs) And I said, "Okay, well, good. Your humility is a good start. Right. How can I help you? He said my girlfriend and I have this great relationship. She's submissive. I'm more dominant. She's very open. But there's something missing. Like there's just, and neither of us can put our fingers on it. So I said, this is what I want you to do. There was this, years ago, there was this organization called Sinclair Institute. And they would put out these lovemaking videos, erotic videos, not from a porn point of view, where a guy with, you know, a 15-inch schlong is, you know, nailing 10 girls in a, in a row, but, you know, just real basic and he's watching these videos and all of a sudden he stops and he sends me this email and he goes, oh, my God, I found out what was missing. And I'm waiting to hear some really erotic change or some erotic <laughs> thing he saw. He goes, we've been together so long. We don't French kiss at all.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of nerve endings in the tongue. I mean, it does add to everything. You know, uh, you, you, you got to kiss your lady.
1: Yeah. And if you think about it, nerd, when, and I don't know if this happened to you, but when I was in high school and I was not even having sex, I was French kissing a girlfriend and who knew if I was ever going to have sex with her, I was in freaking heaven. Yeah. I was so turned on. I,
0: I mean, there, I mean, there's something about kissing another human being that really does like start the whole process up and it really gets things going. It sets the tone. It really does. And I get it, you know it, it it really does add to it all, and I don't know why more people don't do it there's there, there's more of a connection when you're kissing somebody than when it, you're going for just a quick poke, you know
1: yeah and and we're talking French kissing, we're talking tongue on tongue, saliva on saliva, you know let's get real here, and oh, yeah. you, you know it's 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 not just a little pursed lisp kiss, and then you put your head into your your girl's shoulder as she's on the back and you come inside and you're done. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about that. You know, we're talking about another example. There was a woman who was engaged and uh, she came to me and she said, David, you got to help me. I got to cut the engagement off. I got to leave this guy. I don't know how to do it. So could you please help me? Should I write a letter? So I, I said, well, before we go there, tell me what's wrong. And she said, well, I see him every other week because he travels a lot. And when we're together for four or five days in a row, he wants sex constantly. But she goes, and I'm not against that. I love sex. But he's the type of guy that wants it now. Like, there's no foreplay. There's no communication. It's just like, I see this look in his eye and I go, oh, my God, he's going to take me to bed right now. And he'll come (laughs) in and take me. And and she goes, and I'm over it. I'm done. I don't feel we have an emotional connection. I feel we have a physical connection. But there's no emotion to it. So we worked out a plan. And what she said to him was, she goes, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm working with a counselor. And he and I came up with this, and he asked me to write out what I wanted the most. And so here's the bottom line. If we don't change the way we approach sex with each other, I can't go through with the engagement. But if you're open to hearing what my needs are, not just yours, I would like us to do this. For the first 15 minutes before we go into the bedroom, I want verbal and physical foreplay. I want you to talk to me, I want to kiss you, I want to look in your eyes, and I want you to look in my eyes. After 15 minutes, because that's what i found that I need for my body to warm up to you, I can then go with you, I can take you inside, we can make love and do what we want to, but I can't just do the wham-bam thing anymore. So he pushed back at first, nerd. He said, oh, you know, I don't know what you and your counselor are talking about. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's what happens when you're first in a relationship. We've been together for six years. It's not like that anymore. And she just looked at him and said, if that's the way you feel, then the engagement is off. And she walked out. Well, two days later, he calls her up and says, I need to meet you with the counselor. So he came in and he goes, what's all this stuff about foreplay? So, you know, I explained to him, I said, look, there's a lot of women whose bodies do not respond at the speed mm-hmm. that a man's does. Exactly. And if, and if you're not willing to slow down and French kiss and look in her eyes and fulfill the, all the needs she told you she has, you guys can't make it. And on that day, he changed. On that day, he turned it around and started to do what a lot of women need and, and want more than their male partners understand, And that is that emotional connection before making love.
0: Those are words to live by, because as a man, uh, I'm 38 years old, not old by any means, but I mean, my entire life, it's a spin. I'm I'm always ready to go. And what you said, it really hits home because I'm thinking about personal experiences now. And I'm like, you know what? It does take a lot longer to turn on a woman than it does you know obviously being a man it, it just happens like oh i'm in the mood boom i'm ready to go why aren't you ready to go you have to take your time and one one word of advice i do have for people out there listening is if you're not going to do it someone else is yes. more than willing to do it so you better get your shit together now.
1: <laughs> nerd i love that that's an awesome statement <laughs>
0: Now, now let me ask you this though, because like, because at the beginning of the show, I I did list off a number of things that that you do, but the one that stood out the most because I've I've talked about religion a lot on this show is minister. Yeah. <laughs> how how important was and is your faith in making the decisions to become the person that you are today? Like, how important was your religion
1: and your faith? You know, I. I'll say this. I I became an all faith minister, which is a very unique ministerial position to take because I don't believe that there is a religion that's right for everyone, nerd. Um, I don't believe there's a spiritual path that's correct for everyone. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to go into deep training with Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. Uh, I went into deep training with Christianity. I was raised Roman Catholic, so I had an an edge up there. Judaism, and I went into the major religions, and I worked with like a rabbi from Judaism, and I worked with a, a monk from Hinduism and a monk from Buddhism to really get into this concept of faith more than religion. And it has opened up, nerds, some of the most beautiful experiences. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I was raised in this religion. I've never connected. Can you help me understand some other options I have? It fills my heart with joy. If someone comes to me and says, I was raised Roman Catholic and I lost my path, but now I want to go back deeper into it. Can you help me? I say, oh, my gosh, yes you know we we have a, a gentleman that was raised Roman Catholic he lost all faith he was actually going on the verge of atheism um which and i don't have a, a, a you know a problem with anyone making a choice to be a christian or an atheist it doesn't matter to me it's just really about who you are as a human being but you know he came to me and he, and he said um i really want something logical i don't want something filled with a a, a bunch of of rhetoric i just want something logical and for him what worked best was Buddhism. So what I feel so blessed about, you know, I, I, I used to be the pastor of a church a long time ago. Um, but now I fill in for ministers that want to take a Sunday off. And well, not during the pandemic, but up until January of this year, we <laughs> were filling in quite regularly for ministers that wanted to have a day off. And I love it. And I will tell you, with from my addictions to my divorce to everything else that I've gone through, one thing that has been incredibly stable in my life is my faith.
0: Okay. So when you speak about faith, do you subscribe to any one notion, or you just kind of just say, listen, I, I don't believe in this God, that God, or another God, but I do believe in something?
1: You know, I like the word God. Okay. I, I really do. I, I like the word God. I think that, you know, even though uh you know they say Buddhism doesn't believe in a God, uh, they don't have a Godhead. You know, Buddha never wanted anyone to worship him as a godhead. He was just there to show people a way to inner peace. So I happen to like the word God. I talk I talk to Jesus, I talk to God, I talk to Buddha, um, I talk to a lot of different spiritual, if you want to call them, entities. And to me, nerd, and I don't ever try to convince anyone else that this might be their path, but it feels really good to me. You know, right now, um, and this is something else that has really picked up during the pandemic, is that I've gone heavily into, you know, more spiritual readings. And there's a famous monk. I almost became a monk in 2000, Hmm. Um, went and visited a monastery. And at the end of my stay there, I just realized there was still too much work for me to do in the secular world. Um, I, I wasn't ready to be hidden away yet, but my famous monk or my favorite monk of all times is a guy named Thomas Merton. Thomas was raised uh, he became Catholic he went into Gethsemane, uh, a monastery in the United States that is probably one of the most famous monasteries there 's not many of them left but one of the things I love about Thomas Merton is that he actually traveled to um, the the East and he spent time with Buddhist monks and Hindu monks. Because as a Christian monk, he wanted to be more expansive in his knowledge of faith about what other people called God. Now, he never left his Christian roots, but he opened himself up to learn. And remember what we started off with, how, you know, this world cannot agree to disagree. Here was a guy that was totally devoted to his Christianity, and yet he loved to sit at the feet of other monks, and let them teach him about their religious, their faith, their practices, which I think is beautiful. And it's kind of one of the things that I try to do.
0: Now, the whole religion thing, because like, I've had a lot of religious people on here from different backgrounds, you know, just to talk about it, because I'm an agnostic, I don't believe, I don't disbelieve. I would like for there to be something, but I want it to be a natural connection with me and that higher being. I can't just say, Hey, I believe in you now. I accept you. I have to feel it 100% of my heart. I'm not going to go half assed in on this because I feel like if there is a God, he's going to know if I'm lying to him or if I'm (laughs) pretending. Now I was always taught growing up. uh, My dad was a Christian. Uh, He passed away in 2007, but He was always like really Christian. He sent money away to the churches and everything. And I was always taught that God's a jealous God. So you, you know, reaching out and talking to these other ones, don't you feel like the one true one at the end of the line is going to say, hey, you talk to these other ones. I'm a jealous God. You can't come into the mansion in the sky. Is that how it works? I have no idea.
1: This is great. So I'll go. Let's go back to my work with my rabbi he says to me at the end of our training he goes do you have any quite because you know in in judaism it's all about the old testament not the new testament so he says do you have any 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 final questions cuz i had thousands of questions for all these experts you know all these priests and rabbis and monks i i the ultimate respect because of how much work they put in to get the knowledge and the deep faith that they had. And he's, he said, is there anything that confuses you or you want to end you know, our work together with? I said, yes. I go, you know, in the Old Testament, they talk about, you know, a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman. I go, I still hear it today. And it makes me sick. I go, Rabbi, I don't, no no offense to the Old Testament, but I don't like that God-fearing crap because to me, God is all compassion, all forgiving, all accepting. Like, I know this might sound weird to other people, nerd, but I think everyone gets into the next life. I don't believe in purgatory or hell. I think that's all man-made crap. So I'm saying to the rabbi, you know, I just don't get this, this thing about God fearing. And he starts laughing and slapping his thigh. And I'm thinking, what the hell is so funny? You
0: know,
1: like, it's <laughs> a serious question. Exactly. And he goes, David, he goes, When the Old Testament was written, the word fear was identical to the word respect. Okay. So he said, now reverse that. A respecting God. Not God fearing, but God respecting. We respect, if it's the the, the Ten Commandments, we respect honesty. we We respect compassion, service to those in need. He said, that's what God fearing means. But, you know, and, to, and, and like, I didn't know that nerd. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no no idea. So now I get a chance to share this. And some people don't like to hear it because they want a fearful God. You know, if, if you don't finish your peas, you're going to hell type of a God. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of like when you're raised in a strict religious household. I mean, whatever you're doing, God's watching and he's going to smack your ass if you don't look out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe in that at all. You know, I don't believe in any of that. Now, people could say I'm naive, and I would never try to convince someone who believes that God is a punishing God. I would never go down that road road and try to convince them they're wrong. I would just agree to disagree.
0: That's the problem. And you just said my favorite words, agree to disagree. And that's something that we as people can never do again. It just feels like we've gone so far down this path where I'm right, and that's it, and you're wrong. And vice versa, and people just can't agree to disagree and that's the beauty of what we're doing right now. We're two people I've never met except for an hour ago. You know we just hooked up on Skype, and here we are talking and you know like i am just very open minded uh i I try not to be a negative person and i I try to live my life as a good human being, and I hope that's the path I'm going towards but speaking to people like you and the many other people I've spoken to, I, I, I feel like I can take something from every conversation. And I think that more people need to go into conversations, have these conversations and come out with a piece of something that they can maybe apply to their own lives. You just don't see it anymore. It's, it's pathetic.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, for we we just ended my radio run last year. But, you know, for 30 years, I was on syndicated radio and and um, loved it. And, and just like you, nerd. And I'm bringing this up because. All, every Saturday and Sunday, I had a show on Saturdays and Sundays, we had the most, the craziest, the most wonderful guest in the world. A lot that I knew nothing about what their topic was. Some I totally disagreed with, but I learned so much. And, you know, we weren't like, it wasn't acrimonious interviewing. Uh, you know, I wasn't trying to put them down or challenge them. I would, I wanted to learn. You know, like we're I don't care if we're talking about intermittent fasting versus keto diet or we're talking about Buddhism versus Christianity or whatever. I just love to learn. And I will admit that I can have very strong opinions. I will admit that there's some soapboxes. I'm not going to move off until you totally convince me I'm wrong. (laughs) But I will hear you out and I will listen, and if you recommend a great book on topic X, there's a darn good chance I'll get the book and start to read it. I may or may not finish it, but I know, and I just posted this on on social media probably a month ago, 40 plus years in this industry, I still have so much to learn, nerd. (laughs) the day you give up learning is the day you may as well just give up on everything. I mean,
0: life is, is full of infinite possibilities and infinite things we can learn. Might as well just learn it on our finite time on this planet, you know, and this is such a great platform. It, It really is just podcasting in general, just, just talking to people. I mean, it opens up a whole new set of opportunity that just people you can talk to and learn from. And, yeah. I really do appreciate you for coming on tonight, David. I mean, this has been a hell of a learning experience for me, and I feel like I have to really light some candles tonight and throw some rose petals on the bed before I bring <laughs> the old lady in here. <laughs> and, Absolutely.
1: Uh, you know, man, like if yeah. every guy listening, if every guy listening would would hear what you just said, worship, Adore. You know, the other thing we didn't mention that that we write about in the book that's so crucial is when you're making love, look into your partner's eyes. Yes. It's scary as hell. If you've never done it, I'm going to give you that. Okay, I know it's frightening. I know it's scary. But start five seconds. Ask your partner if they would just look into your eyes at five seconds. You know, sit in the living room, you know, on a couch. And and before you go into the bedroom, hold hands and just look into each other's eyes. You don't even have to talk. But there is a, you know, when we talk about the eyes being the windows for the soul, when you make love to your partner and you are looking at them, kissing them, pulling back, connecting with their eyes, it is a totally different experience than maybe anything you've ever done before and the more comfortable you become with it, the deeper the erotic emotional sexual connection goes. But the emotional component is what most people let slip way too early after they've been with someone for a period of time Nerd.
0: That's incredible stuff right there. And I hope a lot of people's love lives improved. And David, I'm going to tell you something here, man. Like I, like I know, like, you know, we hooked up today. We have like a limited time set, but you got to promise to come back on this show because there are so many things to cover. So many different things that we could talk about. You got to come back on.
1: Oh, in a heartbeat, you know, like this is this, this (laughs) just jazzes me up too. You know, I, I, I love your openness. Your questions were exceptional, um, the fact that you can cover so many different topics is very rare in the world of podcasting, nerd. I don't know if you know that or not, but most people oh, yeah. niche out, um, yeah. which, which isn't bad. I'm, I'm not judging. You know, I'm just saying that most people will niche out and they'll do relationships only or money only or attitude only or something. I like the fact that you are open and as an agnostic that you're opening to talk about religion is a very cool thing. If you are atheist, it'd be the same thing to me. As long as you're open to talking, you know, this is what we're here for. So listen, the second you need me, just reach out to TJ and he'll get me back on.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, at the end of the road here, like, we don't know. That's one thing. If you ask any priest or pastor, I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing. At the end of the day, you've all had that one moment where you're like, am I a fool for believing this? I'm sure everyone has that moment where you're just not. Sure. And have I given my entire life to something that's not real or have I been denying that, some, that one thing that is real? And that's why I like these conversations, just to hear other people's experiences. And you've done a lot in your life.
1: There's so much more to cover. So I will be reaching out for sure. We yeah. have so much more to talk about. And, Nerd, let me make this comment to back up what you just said. Sure. Um, the Dalai Lama has a bunch of different books out and he's got this. I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, it's a little handbook. Um, and what he said now he says something that shocked the heck out of me in the book, in his own writings. He says this He says, In Buddhism, we're taught that reincarnation is real. In Buddhism, we teach people that reincarnation is real, that everyone is coming back. But he said, Honestly, I don't know if that's true. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful?
0: It mm-hmm. is.
1: Yeah. It's very so- Wow, that's powerful stuff right there. Really incredible. And and those are the type of people, you know, like anything that you and I talk about, my opinion is my opinion today. We get back together in two or three weeks, nerd. I could be saying, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. Remember when I said this two weeks ago? I just found out I was wrong.
0: (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of just being a human being and and just having an open mind. It can change. And it it all depends on your life experiences, who you talk to, and just being open-minded and what you let into your mind, body, and soul. It's just the way it is. David, can you please let everyone know where to find you?
1: Just throw all your links, everything out there. You know, the the easiest thing to do is to go to our website, and that's the simplest website you'll ever have to remember. It's talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K-david.com, because literally, nerd, this is all I do, 20 hours a day. I'm either doing interviews or counseling people, and and I love it. So if you go to talkdavid.com, you'll find you know, we have 11 books there. Uh, if if you if something that Nerd and I talked about tonight, you know, triggered you and you said, I'd really like ch- to help to change this. We work with people from all over the world via phone and Skype. So just go to talkdavid.com and that then you'll find all the links to social media. But honestly, the social media links are all the same. It's just my name, David Essel. So go to talkdavid.com, look at the books, look at the programs. If there's any way that I can help you, send me an email and we'll chat.
0: Incredible. And I really implore everyone out there to reach out to David because this man taught me some things tonight. I'm sitting there and I know I'm in trouble. Once my wife hears this, she's going to be like, listen, you better do everything this man says.
1: (laughs) I love it i love it hey maybe next time i'm on we'll have your wife with you too and that'll be a blast
0: oh my goodness yes absolutely david ladies and gentlemen david essel please check him out and yeah all the links are at the bottom of the podcast description page here check him out and learn something please see this man will be back i promise you david you got any parting words
1: yeah i think the most important thing is to understand that you have this existence that we know of for sure Our end is going to come much quicker than any of us could ever think. We never know what that's going to be. So why don't you start the radical changes you've been thinking about right now? This would be the day to start. Incredible. Couldn't have said it better myself. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. David Essel.